Joanna, do you ever wish you could definitively prove that you had the right opinions about movies? Uh, yeah, Neil, because I do have the right opinions about movies and television. Right, Dave? No, because I'm more right about those things, and I demand trial by content. Oh boy, what is trial by content? Each week, we'll take on a huge question. Each of us will bring a choice, and combined with listener submissions and your votes, we will come to a decision. It's trial by content every Tuesday on Spotify, TheRinger.com, or wherever you're listening right now. Don't let Neil win. Don't let Dave win. This episode is brought to you by Pure Leaf Iced Tea. Go beyond reality with new Pure Leaf Blackberry Iced Tea and discover a berry delicious world bursting with unexpected blackberry flavor. A world so full of refreshing blackberry iced tea that you may never want to leave. But there's always time to linger. Try new Pure Leaf Blackberry Iced Tea. Visit amazon.com slash pureleaf and enter 20 Pure Leaf for 20% off your purchase of new Pure Leaf Blackberry Iced Tea. What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Hello and welcome to The Pod Is Spoken. I'm Riley McAtee, and yeah, Tyson is still out this week. We're trying to get him back from vacation. He simply doesn't want to come back, so I'll be on the mic duty today for this episode. <laughs> and with me to help break down the latest episode of Survivor is reality TV expert, Juliette Littman. Hello! And also on today, we have Survivor contestant from Vanuatu and Micronesia is Eliza Orleans. Hi, so excited to be here with you guys today. I'm a longtime fan, Eliza. This is really thrilling for me. Oh, well, I mean, listen, it's so funny that now in my day-to-day life, people are like, I'm known for multiple things. And then they're like, wait a minute, weren't you on Survivor? And it's this whole thing that was, you know, 17 years ago at this point. So it's fun. It's fun. That's really crazy. Do people still stop you asking about Survivor? Like, how frequently does it come up? It for a while had dissipated and then the pandemic happened and all these people started watching old seasons on Netflix and kids will come up to me and be like, oh, I'm a huge fan of yours. I'm like, you weren't born yet when I was on the show. I don't understand how this works. That's so funny. Yeah, I think there was a definitely, we noticed this with our colleagues, there was definitely a huge number of people who watched on Netflix. They're like caught up with certain seasons. Um during the pandemic and now i think every season's on paramount plus right yeah they're all on paramount plus and then they just put a few a few seasons like rotate onto netflix and you can tell which seasons they think are like the good seasons based on the ones that get on netflix and micronesia's on there right now yeah yep, we sure are <laughs> one of the greatest seasons of all time yeah it was very good we had just did a bunch of episodes um around micronesia yes we did we did a little rewatch podcast at the ringer here where during the off season. Wait, why didn't you invite me on for those? I could have come and told you the real story of what happened. What's the, what's like the biggest thing that was omitted? Yeah. Okay. Do it now. Oh, now I'm on the spot, but you know, I think that the things that I get asked about the most frequently are, did Jason really think the stick was the idol answer? Yes. Uh, is there anything I could have done once I had seen it. And really, it was such a short period of time. Like we were about to line up for tribal council to, to walk out. And so I didn't have the time to leverage it, to go to Suri, to convince them this is our opportunity to blindside Ozzy, which I do think they would have been open to because they did that the very next episode. But it was the time allotted was just, there was none. It was It was over at that point. And the other thing, oh, people are like, could you have convinced Jason to give you the immunity necklace and convinced him to play the idol that it would have been better for him in front of the jury, et cetera. And I was like, yes, theoretically, except for the fact that I could never have fathomed that he really believed this was the idol. So I would never have thought to go to him and be like, you should play that because I was like, what, why is he messing with me? Anyhow, I get asked about that. And I get asked if Suri would have won a jury vote, which she absolutely would have and how devastated we all are that she is by far the greatest player never to win. Love Suri. We love Suri on this podcast. Who did you end up voting for in for the million dollars? 
I voted for poverty. I could have been the vote. I knew exactly how the votes were going to shake out. I could have been a vote that tied it. And I don't know yeah. what they would have done. So that's always fun to ponder what would have happened. Because if I had voted for Amanda, it would have been 4-4. So I think about that. But ultimately, you know, the jury, it came down to the jury performance and Parvati was, had a slight edge. Do you still talk to Amanda? We tried to get her on the pod. She seems to be off the map, off, off, the, off the grid. I think she had kids, a kid. I don't know. She's, yeah. Who is like your closest survivor friend? I always like to know about the friend groups. Well, I mean, Amy Cusack and I, because we appeared on both seasons together, are, you know, like sisters, dear, dear, dear friends, uh, have remained close with Julie also and Brooke Garrity from my first season. Uh, But I forget that, you know, that you guys had Sophie on last week, our little wine and cheese New York City crew, um, you know, Sophie and Steven and and Francesca and Brian Corden um, and Charlie Herschel. It, it's like, that's my, my OG survivor group and, you know, love them forever. That's awesome. Yeah. How are you feeling with this season so far? Gosh, it's so much fun. And I'm still so annoyed by so many of these twists. And I think they're, I really hated them during season 41, but maybe now it's the fact that they don't have to be explained to us, or maybe this is just a far superior cast but I'm really enjoying this season. I find even the hateable people are fun and it's just the likable people are, I mean, there are more than, more than a handful of people to really, really, really root for. Uh, and so I'm really enjoying it, but talk to me again next week after they do that stupid hourglass thing again. And then, and then maybe I'll feel differently. <laughs> Fingers crossed that they're changing it. <laughs> Because they've they've changed the the twists in little like subtle ways. Like the idols this season, last season it was they would just be inactive if you didn't activate them by the merge. This season they just become active by the merge. So they've done a bunch of little like changes. So I think we'll have something a little bit different to look at at the merge. It won't be the exact same hourglass twist. But well, also given the full fledged meltdown that apparently went on behind the scenes last season, I think Jeff will be a lot more discerning with the words that he uses uh because lying to the cast about being immune it, it's it, it's just kind of antithetical to the game and i think he really screwed that up very badly last season wait so i've heard a little bit about this too that there was sort of a, a contestant backlash last season tell tell us what you can say that you've heard this is all hearsay obviously i wasn't there sure. and i do think we saw some of it but i think that there was even more of a pushback on how deeply unfair it felt uh, by the contestants. And I think Jeff, you know, I heard Jeff had to go to camp to placate people to really have conversations about, okay, listen, we said that, yes, this is, but this is all part of the game and you can't, and basically convince people to continue playing because they were like this. It's like, imagine you're playing a board game or something. And all of a sudden in the middle the rules get changed. Like something that is right. a fundamental rule gets changed. Like how unfair that feels. Do people think Erica wouldn't have won without that? Yes. Under- I mean, she wouldn't have, right? Yeah. She- I mean, because any change, it's butterfly effect, right? Like, but for this, this person wouldn't. I mean, literally, Parvati was supposed to be the first person voted off of Micronesia. Had fair play not quit, basically. Parvati was going home. Episode one. So like, of course, like everything leads to a different outcome. Yeah. And and so I think, you know, when you think about those things, like certainly there's, I mean, maybe Erica would have won, but also maybe she wouldn't have. Right. Right. Not right. to take away from her win, by the way. <laughs> sure. Not to take away from, you know, she won fair and square. She deserved to win in the context of the game that was played. Yeah. She, yeah. I was about to say she, she won alongside the rules that she knew she was playing. It's, it's definitely been interesting. I think for this season, having two seasons in a row where it's like super fans who are aware they're part of like this new, um, like this new generation or, or or new era of Survivor. It's definitely interesting to me, like seeing them reference it, reference like that so much. Like it's so meta now. And I think yeah. you used to get that with like all-star seasons. But like when Daniel was going to go fishing or when he went spear fishing and he was like talking about how he's like done everything you're supposed to do on Survivor. I, I think this, like, this episode in particular, there was, like, so many more tells than usual, like, who was going to go home. Like, you knew which tribe it was going to be just from the title of the episode. And I, I just felt like 
this episode felt kind of like loppy to me in a way where I was like I just like didn't keep me guessing even though the tribal was um unexpected. Yeah. I I I would agree with that. I think it really I mean, but I think also, didn't you guys all guess last week that Daniel was the next to go? Like, didn't, I mean, I feel like this has been, we've been building up to to Daniel's demise basically since episode one. And I'm surprised he made it this long. Well, we, we won't even mention that in after episode one or at least episode two, we were picking Daniel as a winner because he no. looked, yeah, he, well, I don't know. We We thought he was pretty impressive. And then I think it was episode three where... Or maybe it was episode four, one of them where he just completely fell apart. Three uh, was, the, I think, when he fell apart with the what, three. Was that, he the, fell apart. was that the like losing things episode? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the <laughs> and the whole going to rocks, not going to rocks negotiation slash Chanel what wasn't there for him, even though she didn't have a vote in that conversation. Like it was I know. insane. <laughs> and and I think Sophie uh mentioned that. Daniel has had a bunch of us come to his class. So I, le- I was a guest lecturer at his class. Oh, fun. It, yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Yep. So I spoke at Yale Law um, when he was teaching this class back in, I want to say it was 2017 and uh, joined and his class, you know, they were super engaged. They gave great feedback. They allowed me to be myself, which was fun. I was like, am I allowed to say fuck at Yale Law School? Actually, am I allowed to say fuck on this podcast? I didn't even ask. Sorry. You are. Yes. Carry on. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, listen, I'm I'm known for, for speaking in that way. I literally, my most famous line on Survivor, I got bleeped out. So, you know, it's, it's just, uh, it's so funny. And then to see the Daniel who's putting together this very thoughtful class talking about, you know, the inherent misogyny and racism underlying reality TV and, and thinking about why certain people were voted off at certain times and the ways in which these bonds are formed and blah, 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 and analyzing and whatever. And then it's the exact thing that I try to tell people who are armchair quarterbacking from home saying, oh, you should have done this or this person should have done that. And it's like, watch someone who has spent all this time analyzing it, play the game and see what a bumbling fool he was. And then tell me that, you know, that, that any amount of watching or researching has any like real translation to, to being on the show. I do. I, as you were talking, I was wondering like, what do you think the translation is for lawyers though? Like, I feel like lawyers, the, at least, um, I think young ones based, I say this based on my parents and my brother all being lawyers. Like, I feel like there's a certain kind of analysis that goes into it that goes into it very frequently that I feel like Daniel was like trying to show off. And I do think like the lawyer is kind of like an archetype on Survivor as well as sort of like a type of professional out of their element who's like joined the show. And I'm curious, like as a lawyer yourself and having been on the show, like if you identify that type of player and if you do think there's any kind of translation between the skills that you either learn in law school, which I know are separate from the skills you actually use as a lawyer that then like become a part of this show essentially. So that's an interesting question. I mean, first of all, I guess this is relevant. I was never a lawyer when I was on the show. Mm. I was a college student and then I was a law student. Um, so I never practiced law. And so I almost felt like I, I mean, I knew I was being cast in like the kind of nerdy role, like mm-hmm. more of like the, like a white collar type, you know, role as opposed to, I mean, they asked me in like finals in casting, they were like, so Eliza, like, do you, do you expect to like flirt your way to the top? Like, are you going to like use your girlish charm to, and I'm like, no, no, I don't think so. That's not, I don't see that. (laughs) Like, you know, they, they knew that they, they weren't casting like the flirt in me. Like I was clearly not that archetype, but, um, whether I identify with the other lawyers who've been on the show that's hard to say. Like who, like who are the standout lawyers? Like the people who I, who come to mind immediately for me are like Jolanda Jones, who was on the show for like a matter of hours, um, days, I guess. I don't know. Andrew Savage is a lawyer. I think Yule was a lawyer, right? Didn't he clerk for a Supreme Court justice? Was Yule a lawyer? He like works in big tech though. Like he doesn't really, I don't know. It's just like, so I wonder like who you had in mind when you asked that question about lawyers, like who is it that you identify as like the lawyer types from the show? Like, is it the Daniels of the show? Like, I don't really, I mean, he's never practiced law. Like, does he count? He's an academic. (laughs) 
I think in my head Stephen was a lawyer, but he's not. I'm now looking no. at a list of of uh, of. Lawyers. Oh, you are. Yeah, Brad Culpepper. He was a lawyer. <laughs> I don't um, think Brad Culpepper was cast because he's a lawyer, though. No, I don't no. think so either. Me neither. Yeah, I guess Charlie. I think it's just usually oh, Char- like, of course, Charlie. Charlie and I went yeah. to law school together. Right. Nice. Uh, I don't know. You're on this list too, Eliza. Uh, Cass, Brad Culpepper, Andrew Savage, Russell Swan, Francesca, David Murphy, Stacey Stillman, Becky Lee, Jessica Lewis. There's more, but I think it is like, I don't know. I think it's because, oh, Candace was one too. I was a Candace fan. Anyway, I think it's like an identifi- identifiable thing that people do. It's like, oh, like how will the lawyer respond to this? But also I might be biased. As I said, my whole family's lawyers. So. There's definitely like a, a, a sort of broader like brainiac type of archetype, especially when it's like they'd be like, oh, the brain surgeon or the rocket scientist or something like that, yeah. where it's somebody who's just like really, really smart in real life. And then that sometimes blends with the survivor super fan archetype too, the person who's like studied the right. show super, super. I closely. was a huge super fan. I think it's changed so much though, because of you know what Juliet was just saying, which is that now there's this awareness and like doing things for the purpose of it being shown, you know, like I think social media Mm -hmm. has changed that so much. Like, for example, when I was on the show, social media didn't exist. There was no, there was no Twitter or Instagram or, I mean, I think Twitter came about like right before my second season, but it wasn't that people were thinking about how to act or how to do things or, oh, this will be a big moment or, or let alone like pulling a Cochrane and pre-planning confessionals Mm. to bring with them to the island to say, to try to get them on the show. Like that to me is so wild because that's, you know, what you're, what they're sussing out during the casting process. Like one of the things that was said to me in final round of casting was like, listen, everyone we bring out to finals is someone who we think is amazing. You know, whether it's, it's their, their physical strength or their intelligence or their personality, but like the person that we want out there is the person who can describe this bowl of fruit in the most interesting way. And they're like, so ready. And they were like, you know, just making me think on my feet during casting. And Maybe not everyone they're going to cast is going to be a narrator or a storyteller in that way, but it just now that people are so hyper aware of like, oh, I should bring these analogies with me to use at tribal council or in my confessionals, it does like take something away from the authenticity of the show. I feel like Daniel pre-planned some of his confessionals. He says he's not an analogist in this episode, but almost every confessional he's had an analogy, including he had a couple in this episode. Yeah. The boxing one, that was just like ridiculous. But that's Daniel in a nutshell, I guess. There have been a few where I'm like, he's hunting for the episode titles, it feels like. You know what's funny? I didn't even see. I didn't even know the episode title. Julia said it was a spoiler. I was like, I didn't. What was the episode title? It's I'm Survivor, I'm Survivor Rich. And the second that came up, I was like, oh, that's like when I when I heard it and it was like from the title, I was like, oh, okay. So they're like trying to make a point with that, with that line. So I guess it's not a spoiler, but I was but like it really like stuck out to me. And I know they often pick titles like that, but it just uh I don't know. For some reason it, it like it stuck in my head more. I've never really thought like analyzed the the titles. I know you guys talked about Edgic. I used to be like big into Edgic, like, you know, really like following yeah. and kind of trying to predict who who the winners were going to be based on their edits. And I went into Survivor being like, oh, I'm going to be, I'm going to be CPP. And then I was like OTTN. So <laughs> wah, wah. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Pure Leaf Iced Tea. Go beyond reality with new Pure Leaf Blackberry Iced Tea and discover a berry delicious world bursting with unexpected blackberry flavor. A world so full of refreshing blackberry iced tea that you may never want to leave. But there's always time to linger. Try new Pure Leaf Blackberry Iced Tea. Visit amazon.com slash pureleaf and enter 20 Pure Leaf for 20% off your purchase of new Pure Leaf Blackberry Iced Tea. Oh man, on that note, should we get into the episode, Riley? Yeah, let's get into the episode. So we start out on the Ika camp and they're coming back from Tribal Council. Uh, kind of the only real interesting wrinkle, wrinkle here is that Roxroy was not in on the vote to get Swathi out. He had voted for Tori 
but they kind of do the thing where they're like, hey, okay, you know, we're four strong now. And like this tribe is not four strong at all. Certainly. Like Tori, Tori straight up says it, but even if you're just, last episode was uh, leaned very heavily into the vibes uh, of the different tribes. And this tribe has no good vibes and they are not, they're not <laughs> strong. But um, I actually thought Rox played that really well because I think a lot of yes. times, especially when you're left out of a vote, it's so hard when you get back to camp not to be emotional. Uh, I certainly have acted out after being left out of a vote because you just kind of can't help it. You're so pissed. You get back from tribal, you were just blindsided, you know, and Rox was like, oh, good on y'all. Like, you know, doesn't he does like basically the opposite of Daniel last week, like is like, we're still cool. Like no big deal. Not to say it's going to make a difference in the long run. I think you're, you're totally right that they're not for strong, but I do think he played that well. I totally agree. I do too. Also, I think the rocks is like pretty interesting and, and not like a, I think he's like a more nuanced character than we sometimes get. And I, I, I like that he, um, we get like, I feel like we've gotten some more like insight into how he thinks. I was glad he went on the journey this week. Cause I felt like it was an opportunity to like, really just like hear his, thought process and and the logic that he was applying. And I, I just thought that was pretty interesting and kind of like has turned him into like a pretty textured character. And I wasn't sure we would actually get that with him. Right. Because they set him up as this type of character that we see almost every season, which is the bossy person at camp who goes home in episode one or episode two because nobody really likes them. And yeah. now that he's been around, it's, you know, we're, we're like five episodes in. It's actually like, okay, is this guy like, real player in the game like what you know what can you kind of do i did not expect him to make it to the merge which i guess if we can't whatever's going to happen next episode if we count that as the merge or not he's basically there <laughs> where do you guys stand on tori i uh i've heard a lot of different opinions in the last few days really i feel like the opinions should mostly be the same <laughs> Yeah, listen, you know, when i mentioned at the beginning that there are people who are kind of fun to hate, i think mm-hmm. i think she's grown on me as someone who I, I enjoy disliking. She definitely gives good eye rolls. You know, she's very expressive for the camera. I'm curious to see how things go for her. Cause I'm, I'm like genuinely don't know. Like I think her strategy to jump ship, like as soon as she can is probably a good one knowing where she stands with her tribe. I feel like I'm really anticipating this merge. Obviously they are, but I do feel like they're such distinct personalities for each of these tribes. I'm very curious to see who does jump ship and like what the new alliances are that formed. I feel like the, these tribes like are also different. Uh, I'm, I'm, I like, feel like I can't predict it at all. But also turning like with the turn back time twist, you know, people will jump ship. They'll think that they've created something and then it'll all get undone. And it's, it'll be, it, I think it'll be really interesting. The two hour episode next week will be fun. And then, so after the Ika tribe, we go to Taku tribe, which Last episode was like the good vibes group. And now we're starting to see some cracks and we're kind of seeing Jonathan and he's getting a little frustrated with Marianne. He's just getting a little frustrated with like the chatter around camp in general. And then we get, we actually get a lot of fishing this episode because Jonathan and Daniel after this both go fishing. And this is like, this feels kind of old school. This actually feels like this whole episode feels a bit old school too, because I felt like the boot was really straightforwardly between two people. Mm-hmm. And, and then we also get spearfishing. It like felt like a season of survivor that aired in 2009 instead of in <laughs> 2022. How do you, where do you guys come out on like the Jonathan first Marianne? I thought the machete was very close to her foot, like very close. <laughs> so I just feel like he was trying to like tune her out or something. And so as a result, he almost cut her toe off. I like if I were her, I would have been terrified. And he wasn't particularly apologetic. He was like, "It's your fault. I had a machete in my hand. Why did you come close?" Like I, th- I was, I was kind of disappointed. I've, I've just been loving Jonathan. I thought that was like pretty cold. What did you think? I, he, it, that scene combined with his confessional kind of mocking Marianne and Lindsay for their nonstop talking and calling them annoying and everything just struck me as so incredibly misogynistic that it made me dislike someone who I've been liking up until this point. I was just like very, very turned off by Jonathan. And I, uh, I, I just hope, you know, what did Marianne say? Pride is a deadly sin. Uh, I hope pride goeth before the fall. Like I I can't wait to see his downfall. You know, I, I think he was good 
kind of merge boot fodder anyhow. But really, really, the misogyny was showing big time in this episode. Yeah, I think he's pretty rude to like almost everyone. And the way that he was really upset during the challenge when Omer is having a hard time with unbraiding the key, the the ropes to get the key, like he just seems to like all of a sudden have no um, empathy at all. And I thought that it really changes some of like his, it changed my perception of some of like his really heroic athletics. Cause it's like, he wasn't doing it to help the team. Like he was doing it to like get it done his way, which benefited yeah. the team, of course. But he, I think at first he was presented as like a much more, um, like a sort of like more of like a friendlier person than he actually turned out to be. I, I totally agree. I was just like, oh, the, the complaining about them talking was like, you know, everyone just finds like comfort in different ways. And he just had, he just, like I said, had no empathy. And I think that Marianne is one of the greatest casting choices ever made on any reality TV show ever. I think she is absolutely extraordinary. I love her. I would watch somebody was saying Marianne for, for the next bachelorette. I was like, would watch in a heartbeat. Like, (laughs) yes, yes, yes. I want her on my TV all the time. Uh, and I also kind of relate, you know, people thought I was, I am a lot. Listen, I'm a lot. I get it. But people thought I was annoying. I talked too much. You know, I was too excited. I had over the top facial reactions to things, but I really, they were so genuine. And I feel like she's the, she's the same way. So I, I just, I love her. I love her so much. Team Marianne forever. I like her too. She's sweet. Also hard to be that, um, that boisterous and like, just be like so unapologetically yourself. I, I appreciate it. Yeah, it doesn't add something around camp too to have somebody who's really optimistic and upbeat when you're like starving and it's rainy and it's cold and you're all dirty. Like, I, I feel like that would be a good, like I share some of Jonathan's frustrations in the sense that I am a person who is comfortable with silence. And when you have people who are just chattering all the time and you're not in that energy, it can be a little like frustrating. I do think he did not express himself well at all in the way that he like talked about it. But uh, I also think like there's a huge benefit to having Marianne on your tribe and probably just keeping everybody close together and and, you know, making it feel like you're actually having a fun time out there because sometimes Survivor's probably not very fun. <laughs> it's an understatement. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what gives you the most PTSD when you're watching Eliza? Like when you like when you watch like what brain. part seems brain? I mean, because I think the. One of the, one of the worst things about being out there is how hungry you are. And I Mm. think that, uh, this is why I was so filled with rage last season when they just kept being like, this is the hardest season of survivor ever. I'm like, go screw you. Like the hardest (laughs) season of survivor ever. Like they're like, everyone else got rice. I'm like, I never got one, not one grain of rice on, you know, the 60, 60 some odd days I spent on survivor. So absolutely not. Uh, there is no amount of, you know, suffer the whole season is 26 days. Like, shut up. You did not have it hard. None of you. Um, but, but I think the, you forget the pain of feeling hungry all the time. Um, we talked about food. We dreamt about food. We thought about food constantly, Mm. but that pain, like you can remember that you felt pain, but you can't remember the pain. I guess that's how people have multiple, uh, like childbirths and stuff like that. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, but the, when I see rain, like I saw that downpour on this episode and I was just like, Oh oh my God, a night in the rain. Like you're just, it's so miserable. It's so miserable. And like, you're just, your, your fingers are pruned and you're completely soaked to the bone, just shivering. Um, and we didn't have much in the way of clothes. I know Sophie also talked about that, but we, we had, much less in the way of clothing back in the because, day too. Because Sophie talked about it when Lydia came back and she was like wearing all, everything she had, including like her blazer. I was like, wow, she's got a lot of clothes on. I was like, I was like happy for her. But it, I noticed it as a result of what Sophie said last week. It was, I was, I was glad, I guess. Progress. All right, let's, let's move along to, so we get to the Ika camp again and Romeo and Drea decide to go looking for an idol. And I think that this kind of ties back in too, because Drea finds the idol uh, and it's the boar advantage and she's got to say her phrase and it's potatoes have skin. I have skin. Am I a potato? Which I thought later she did a really good job of working into the the challenge and making it sound at least somewhat natural. Hmm. Um, but she also mentions that, you know, she's a woman finding an idol and typically in Survivor, 
the overwhelming majority of idols have been found by men. And on this season, we now have two of the three that have been found by women. So maybe that's starting to shift a little bit. I think it's too small of a sample size to say for sure, but um, it's, a, it's a good sign that actually two out of three have been found by women. Probably haven't been very many seasons where that's been the case. Is that is that true? Like, I don't, I don't, I, I, at the moment, I like couldn't fact check that. But is is that like something that has been like discussed and borne out in other seasons? I remember in David versus Goliath, uh, Angela or Angelina was talking about it, and at the time, it was something like I think like seventy five or eighty percent of idols have been found by men. It was like a massive number. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. I mean, we talk we talk about the inherent misogyny of Survivor a lot, but you know, yeah. the, the racism and sexism in game, um, that has played out in like a really, really like material way over the last two decades. Yes. It would be, it would be great if they could undo all of the years of that, but obviously I don't think that's going to happen No, Cause they, cause they had them in the woods and mostly it's been traditionally, it's been like the women more stay at the camp and the guys are going out like, Oh, look for firewood or wood or all gather stuff or go fishing or whatever. And that's when they can look for idols. And so that's why it's been so male dominated. And then that's why they hid one at camp. And then of course that's like right by the fire. And then Brad found it. Remember? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. I would never want to look for idols. I would always just be like, uh, I don't know someone else will find it. I, I, I just feel like that, that wouldn't be my, my thing. Not having nothing to do with gender, but just, uh, I don't know. It's very hard for me to imagine myself on survivor at all. I'm like a real indoor kid. So I I don't think it would go well, but I don't know. Um, The first time you played, they didn't have idols, right, Eliza? Correct. Right. So in the second time they did, right? They did, but but they were on exile only, not at camp. And you had to follow a series of clues. It was a series of clues that were also very physical, too. It was like cross this body of water multiple times, things like that. And so what I remember was Ozzy and Kathy went. And Kathy was like, oh, I'm not going to do this. Like, it's too much work. It's too hard. And Ozzy was like, sweet, I can do this. I can go climb. I can go across the bay a bunch of times and then climb up into the trees and stuff. And so that's something, too, where it, like, was an idol that was made to be found by somebody who's, like, more physically dominant. But also, I I think that the pervasive sexism isn't just about, like, the the emphasis on strength, you know, in the first half of the game where, like, men are basically presumed to make it to the merge. Wow, we got to keep the tribe strong, et cetera. But it's... Mm -hmm. A lot of that is perpetuated by by Jeff himself. For example, the way he called out Jonathan this season in that challenge. We have never seen someone carry a a, a tribe to victory in this way. I'm like, I'm sorry, excuse me. Like, I never got treatment like that when my tribe was 10 minutes behind, seven minutes behind, and I started a puzzle seven minutes behind someone else. And like solely solve that puzzle, directed everything and brought us to victory. And like, never Jeff would, would like acknowledge that kind of, you know, strength or something. I think the only time he's ever acknowledged even that was maybe when Steven memorized, um, he, like his tribe was behind, he went and he was like, I'll just memorize the whole thing. It's just seven numbers, like, or seven characters, <laughs> whatever. And he was like, you just memorize it like a phone number. You just memorize seven things. And like the other tribe had to go back and forth three times. But I do think that the bias is tangible. And so it is nice to see women finding idols and, you know, getting to be portrayed in, in a different way, hopefully. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree. All you can really, at this point, not all, but one of the most important things is changing it going forward. So hope, fingers crossed it, it will be, will be a, a, a truly a new era of Survivor, as Jeff might say. Yeah. And I mean, and, and it results in, you know, wins and losses too. I mean, Erica last season was the first woman to win in a long time. And it, mm-hmm. I, and it, you know, for the first, I don't know how many seasons of Survivor's run, it was very even for a while, male versus female winners. It was, it was like close. It would always be, uh, within a couple of wins. And then we just had this cool lot of male winners for, uh, I don't know what, four or five years or something. And so now the numbers are men have won many more times on survivor than women. And that's kind of been a recent thing too. Something I, I feel like that has to do with there being more idols and a, an emphasis on big moves and things like that as well. Yeah. Just, but also even yeah. when the number of winners was relatively even in terms of men versus women, still, it was like only 30 
like a third, 30, like 5% or something of the contestants voted out in the first four tribal councils were men. So still, even if, you know, they were winning at approximately a, like the same amount, if you calculate based on like placement, the first four people voted out, you know, two thirds of the time were women. All right. So on that note, I think we can go to the immunity challenge now. So we get there, we get Marianne says her phrase about the bunny and the rabbit in the mailbox. Uh, and Jeff kind of is talking to the tribes about how they're hungry, which sets Drea up to say her potato phrase. And then Mike decides to jump in and do his phrase. And this was like a game time decision for him, too, because he wasn't sure if he wanted to go to the merge with people knowing whether he has the idol or not. So I wanted to ask if we think that this was the right move for Mike, if he should have actually said his phrase here or just kept it to himself and tried to keep the information more close to the vest. I have a question. All three yeah. phrases have to be said for the idols to be activated, or all three. So, so no one else's would have worked if he. They all have to be phrase. said, and they all have to be said at the same immunity challenge too. So that's right. why Marianne has to keep saying it over and over. Right, right. Interesting. I don't know. What do you think, Eliza? The big, the big like argument there that was going on is whether the interpretation of how it was read even enabled what he had done up. To this point, technically, I think what he did like went against the rules of that idol, but production seemed not to care. They were like, oh, cool. We didn't anticipate this, but they figured out this thing. Fine. We're just going to leave it as is. But it said, you know, once you find this, you must state your phrase at the next immunity challenge. And then that must somehow was not abided by. So I think it would have been unfair if he had been able to then still get an idol, keep an idol at the merge and not have been ever forced to say this phrase when other people did have to say it based on what that clue said. So regardless of whether it's a good move or not, I think in terms of the rules of the game, like they dictate that he should have had to say it. Right. Right. Yeah, it's it's like weird that you can hold back on it, I guess. I wonder also like how this will have to change going forward because this cast obviously hasn't seen um, episode 41, but or season 41. But obviously going forward, people who are familiar with the show will recognize when like a really weird phrase is said at tribal, like what's going on. So it'll have to shift in some way, I would guess. This might be the last time they do this type of idol, at least for a while, because I think it would just be too... Exactly what you're saying, Juliet. It would, if somebody goes to an immunity challenge and they say some weird phrase, you're just going to be like, they have an But idol. then maybe the theory is like okay let's like both say really weird phrases during the lead up to our challenge and you know there'll be different strategies around it like people will always come up with ways to adapt to a known thing like remember when it was always a final two and then all of a sudden it was a final three and then final three strategy is different from final two strategy and how do you play it you know it's like as survivor changes you have to change i guess with it um I, i i still hate i hate so many of these stupid twists and would love to see the games the game played by people who are you know who are forced to then be strategic without like external influence but they're not going to do away with it if it's a thing that jeff loves just because other people have seen it does jeff love it do we know that i don't know okay we'll have to find out i i also i had a question when they're all saying their phrases i felt like that was a pretty extended intro into the challenge like more than we usually see and I was curious, like, is it yeah. usually goofy or like, what is it like how, and how long does it last before a challenge gets started? I guess that that's a great question because I think a lot of people don't realize that they always have, there's like a huge lead up to challenges. It's a huge lead up. It's like a challenge day takes all day. So they, you know, they'll, they come get you first thing. Like you're, you, you know, that there's a challenge. We used to have tree mail. They don't get tree mail anymore, do they? I know. They get, they get it, but they don't show it. I, th- I think. Oh, the reading of tree mail was like such a big thing back in the day. Wow, that just occurred to me that like well, we haven't seen them read a tree mail in forever. Years, yeah. Did you watch the challenge? Because they used to get like text messages where yes. they'd be like, I just received a message on my sidekick phone. TJ just challenge. texted me. Yeah. <laughs> and they don't they don't do that anymore either. I think like as we all have gotten used to like technology, the joke, the technology like right. plugs are less effective but it's a good point like 
Also, the name tree mail is still funny, even if email is now like 30 years old. Tree mail is still like a funny concept. To me, tree mail is anyway. great. Yeah. Uh, but so then so we get transported. We go to the challenge. We get like a much more detailed explanation of the challenge as well. And we get an opportunity to ask questions outside of earshot of the other tribes. So we each each tribe will get time to ask Jeff questions or ask, you know, uh, John Kierhofer, who's the challenge Czar or challenge master questions. And, you know, that is how, for example, you know, they give you the rules to challenges in that moment. And so when you outsmart a challenge in a way that, that, you know, the dream team that production didn't foresee, they're like, oh shit. And sometimes they'll be like, wait, 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 no, no, you can't do that. Nope. Go back. Like you can't do it. And they, I, I did have a challenge where Jeff, when Jeff said this season during that you know, rough waters challenge. And he said, oh, this is the first time in history we've ever stopped a challenge midway through. And I'm like, no, it's not. What are you talking about? Like, that's just, that's just a lie. Maybe you didn't show it, but like in one of our challenges in Vanuatu, they stopped the challenge because essentially you were supposed to like build a thing and retrieve a key and use the key to get through. And the guys just like brute forced their ways, like it was the men versus women. And they just brute forced their way through this, uh, kind of bamboo door thing and without having gone through the process of retrieving the key and unlocking. And they were like, no, 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 you have to go back. They stopped the challenge, made us stop. They, they rebuilt it. They put it back. They made them go back and do the actual challenge. So, but then in Micronesia, one of my favorite challenges ever was, um, you know, that challenge where they have to transport two people on the pole from one platform to another platform. Well, at that time we had we only, James was the only person strong enough to really hold one pole up. And Jason Sisko is just never going to be able to like hold the other pole for, for, to transport me and Parvati across. And so we all kind of brainstormed before the challenge and we were like, screw it. Let's just use one pole. We're just going to use one pole. We're not going to walk back and forth. Why are we going to go around, take a step, take a step? We're just going to use one pole. You know, Eliza's going to crouch down on it and then Parvati is, and we're just going to carry her across to the other platform. And that's how we did it. And we kind of outsmarted the challenge. We like outmaneuvered the rules of the challenge. It didn't say you must use both poles. But anyhow, that was the last time that was ever allowed because once the the new iRide tribe did that, Jeff was like, okay, well, now this goes into the rule book that... From this point forward, you must use both poles. But it's like, you know, thinking about how people are going to do these things is, you know, you always have to like kind of be one step ahead of the contestant. Sure. Sure. And it's like, you don't really know like the questions to ask until you ask them essentially. And so I'm sure like there's like, they don't, they can't always anticipate like how other people are going to think. So also if you've got the right idea too, if you're like, maybe we could just use one pole and have James just carry it across. Maybe you you don't don't want to ask that question. Yeah, you don't ask. Because I feel like with this and also with Mike's idol, with him not reading his phrase, the the one rule that's above all the other rules is if it makes good TV, they'll usually allow it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Right. And that's why they do so much in terms of like, that's why there's so much footage on the cutting room floor. That question, I went off on a tangent, but it started as you were asking me about being at the challenge and having these conversations. So after you've already gone through the run through, you've done all these things. They'll, Jeff will be like, so like, Eliza, how are things at camp right now? Are you guys eating enough? Do you have fire? Like, what's going on with this? Da, 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 da. How's, are you nervous about this challenge? What do you think about the fans? Like, blah, blah, blah. You know, and everyone is kind of talking, answering questions. I mean, it's like how tribal council goes on for hours. Right. You know, can be can be hours long. And so there is a lot more conversation now because of this weird idol, this three-way idol thing, we're seeing more of it, but they always did that. Interesting. I think that's a really cool insight because it also, I think, I don't know, Riley, I don't want to speak for you, but the like having to say a phrase at challenge, it seems so like out of left field, but hearing that there's actually a lot of conversation makes a lot more sense. And like, now I'm like, oh, the producers obviously having worked on the show for a long time, we're like, what are the opportunities to like introduce something new? And I guess one of them was like in that, that pre- challenge conversation essentially because i think one thing that i i mean i watch a lot of reality tv one thing i like always marvel at is just the editing like for better and for worse like is impressive how they craft something together and one of the things that's so such a thrill about like talking to you and sophie and tyson and all the other guests is like hearing what you don't get to see and like that's a, just a really interesting insight to me also i always wondered when they filmed like the um 
the Survivor Dream Team, like running the obstacles? Like, do you watch them run it for you, basically? No, that's why, you know, seeing someone do something do before you have to do it is, yeah, is. I think you see that more on the challenge where they do things sequentially versus we compete typically all at the same time. Uh, getting to see someone do something that you haven't done is like a huge advantage. Gotcha. I had no idea that there was that much chatter before challenges. And I feel like that, like I, I'm a longtime watcher of the show. And I feel like that's something that now they realize, oh, we can use this to our advantage. Like if we do this mm-hmm. thing where they have to say these goofy phrases, viewers will think that's crazy. But it's actually, there are opportunities to to slip it in more than than we know. And if you go back and watch old seasons, I feel like you will see like, there are always at least one or two people who Jeff will go to. And it'll seem like that's the only thing that was said. Yeah. But obviously, as you know, from years of watching reality TV, editing is a big part of it. And so it'll be like, so like, Eliza, you had a big reaction to so-and-so getting voted like, or this, or they'll always go to like one or two people about something pre-challenge. I will say I buy into it. Like I don't really, in the moment, I don't think about like what else was said, who else got to speak. I just sort of like accepted it at face value. It's part of the fun of being a viewer. I mean, I guess also because I'm not like a, I wouldn't say I fall into the super fan that uh, category though I have been watching a long time. I'm just sort of like, I'm just here to have a good time. So I just, I just accept what I see. Here for the right reasons. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Oh man. I was happy the challenge wasn't in the water for the first time, but Oh, it actually also reminds me, it didn't even occur to me that Daniel wasn't competing by the way, because of his, his injury. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. He's been sitting out a lot and then going spearfishing this episode. It's like he forgot what his cover story was or something. I mean, how hurt do we really think his shoulder was? I feel like it wasn't that hurt. Oh, he definitely dislocated it that first episode. He definitely dislocated it, but I think that he was playing up the, oh, I don't want to be in a challenge. And I wonder it, when we get some exit press from him, I wonder if he'll be able to clarify maybe that was part of his strategy, not going into the game because he didn't know he's going to dislocate his shoulder. But once that happened, he was like, I can use this to sit out of challenges and maybe not put myself in a position where I'm like the person that messed up the challenge mm-hmm. and, and now have a target on my back because of it. Cause we sometimes see that happening. I mean, well, Courtney Yates be... would tell you sit out as many challenges as you possibly can always and forever. So with Sandra Diaz twine, so like, you know, like, yeah. they are like all, and meanwhile, I have never sat out a single challenge ever in either of my seasons on survivor. I, I never would. I would never want to. I like love the challenges, even when it's terrifying. And I feel like I'm taking on a role where if I screw up, we lose. It's still to me, you know, I'd rather it be me. So anyways, Vati loses this challenge. It's uh, Ika gets first. Taku comes from behind to win. And when we go back to uh, Vati's camp, we get this confessional from Hai where he's like, oh, I'm really, I'm actually excited about losing because I'm going to trim some fat and we're going to get rid of either Chanel or Daniel. And that moment, my mind was like, Okay, if you have a confessional like that in an episode, this feels like it's setting up for for High's downfall because usually they're not that straightforward with it. But it actually is really straightforward. It's just going to be one of these two that goes home. Oh, and then the other thing mm-hmm. I forgot to say is Lydia gets sent on to Shipwell Island with Roxroy as well. So they're going to go do the, the little prisoner's dilemma thing that we're all familiar with by now, and she'll come back. I just want to note that I'm actually not familiar with it. Like, I know what it is, but I couldn't tell you what the rules are, even though I've seen it, like, every episode for the last two seasons. I'm less like, what do they do? Like, what's it again? Like, I, I, I do know what it is, but I just feel, um, I just think it's such a dumb twist that I'm just like, whatever. I Me like too. it. Oh, That's wow. so stupid. I hate it. I think it's, I, like, really hate it. Also, this episode was, like, the perfect example. And, yes, I guess we got to hear a bit more from, like, Rox and Lydia about their personal backstories. But we could have heard about their personal backstories in the context of interacting with people on a tribe that they're actually on. And to deprive someone of the ability to be there. Like, that could have cost Lydia the game. You know, if it's Lydia versus High at the end, who's her closest ally, and he's like, well, I orchestrated this while Lydia was off on her journey. Like, that costs her the game right there, potentially. And I don't know. I just, I hate it. I think it's so dumb. Also, neither of them, they were both so cagey that, like, it was yeah. useless. In this instance, it was a huge bust. But I, I kind of, I feel like it's an appropriate amount of risk reward. And it's a twist that actually puts the power in the hands of the people who are 
experiencing it rather than it just being like a random thing. And it's like, oh, now you have an idle nullifier or whatever it is. It's yeah. like you have the option to to risk or not. You can just basically opt out of the twist if you want to. I mean, you still lose that time with your tribe, but you can choose to not, you know, take on this uh, this risk basically. Whereas the the other one, the where the idols this season, you don't really get that option because they're just like there is a risk, but you don't know what it is until you open it up and then you've already and no one has opted out of opening it. Yeah, Which at least not that they've season. shown. Nor us. would they, right? Nor sh- and if they do, it's just like. Well, you should just be eliminated on the spot, essentially, if you opt out of it. It's so that would be so bizarre. I I can't even imagine. What but. are the? I wonder what the rules are. Like, if if it said beware advantage, you know, if like if I found it, I didn't want to open it, but I didn't want anyone else to have it. If I kept it, but didn't right. open it, said it. You, it said you has to put it back, right? So, so that's, you have they're to like back. leave it. Yeah, either open it and assume the risk or leave well then it you have you to open it, it. there is said. no there is it's it's just it's too confusing it's just like just i don't know I, I i just don't think it works but that's you know just my opinion and it, you're right it does suck for lydia especially since she was already on the bottom of her tribe well but she was okay because she was yeah, kind she of was in the fine. alliance of three mm-hmm. she was on the she, but she was on the bottom the uh, in the previous vote yeah that's and what i'm so, saying the last time they went to tribal she was yeah probably wasn't as confident that she is in the power position but she actually is right um, I love Daniel's scrambling in this episode where he's telling, like, he sells high at one point. He's like, I'm with you to the end. And it's like, what? No, you're not. Like, you're flipping the moment you can, dude. Like, do people just say stuff like that on Survivor where it's just, I don't know. Like, I, I, everyone's lying all the time, but do you lie when everyone knows it's a lie? Like, what's the point at that point? I like how just sort of like he goes for it. I just feel like Daniel's doing him. And while maybe it's a bad survivor strategy, I think it's really it's good TV for sure. I'll I'll miss him as a TV character, if not as a survivor player. Agreed. Agreed. You know, he's like, got to go for it with everything I've got left. You know, convince Mike that, oh, we're friends till the day we die. Like this is this is long beyond the game. You know, just I would have been rolling my eyes out of my head at that moment. <laughs> Uh, but yep. I appreciated Chanel's like eloquent call out of that. Why did she vote for Mike? I don't understand. I think it was a hedge, like not fully. I, I, honestly, like it, that's confusing to me still because yeah. even if let's say Daniel plays his shot in the dark, unless she thought that Mike, no, it doesn't make any sense. There's no, yeah. how does it, because then he was mad. He was like, he was surprised. It wasn't part of like the group strategy to get rid of either Daniel or Chanel. And he's like off- offended. Well, so, okay. So the only thing that I can think of is that she probably thought that Mike, Hi, and Lydia were all voting, voting for Daniel. So mm-hmm. if she votes for Daniel too, then that's four on Daniel. And Daniel's probably voting for her. So if he does play shot in the dark correctly, exactly. then it would have been her going home. So she just puts a random vote on Mike to try and at least make it a tie. I mean, it's still her going home because on a revote, they're voting her out. They're not going to vote Mike out. But I guess you delay it by doing that. Unless, unless, and then like this, I guess this isn't even, this is even crazier, but like, what if, what if Daniel plays his shot in the dark and so, and Oh, I guess she would have had to play her shot in the dark too. Right, she would have had to play. She knew so she, she wasn't doing voted. because then if if just one. Oh no! Vote wait, was cast, no, 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 I'm wrong. If da- wait, if Daniel plays his shot in the dark, he doesn't have a vote. So it would have been all four votes would have just not counted. Wait, so that right? He oh, so then it would have been okay. That's so she, what it is. So because then it would have been every vote doesn't count. But if she casts a vote on Mike, then Mike goes home. And I think that Mike probably with the help. Uh, the coordination with Hi and Lydia did the same thing. He throws a vote on Chanel for the same scenario in case there's a shot in the dark. They don't want all of the votes being not counted or just one vote being out there as a stray. Basically, guards against Chanel's vote. But this is like exactly what we've been talking about in this episode where some of these twists make the storytelling a lot worse because it's just harder mm-hmm. to understand what happens. If people have to vote opposite of who they actually intend to get out in order to like wiggle around the shot in the dark happening that makes it just more confusing and so i felt like this it it was like a straightforward vote that ended up being like a chaotic 
the actual votes are really chaotic and hard to understand and just not as as satisfying. Clearly. So Chanel knew she wasn't going home. I think like if you watch the episode carefully, like you can pretty much tell yeah. she she knows she's not going home. Like Mike's like, you're not going home. She's like, I know. Like, you know, there was no, <laughs> like they showed that scene at the well and I'm like, oh yeah, she knows she's not going home. Um, but so they're editing her as like the decoy boots so that it's not such a straightforward episode. But then the way the votes play out, you're just like, wait, wait, what just happened? I don't understand. Like, you know, why are we having to reason so hard for something that did, doesn't require that level of confusion? Yeah. And that's a fundamental problem with, with these, uh, with these twists, like why I'm also, uh, also because if you can't keep up with like this, the storyline as it's happening, it's sort of like, what's even the point of understanding the twist is just sort of like, there's multiple things you don't understand. Maybe I'm just a lazy viewer, but I just sort of like there's there's not a ton of uh, upside in trying to follow essentially when it still doesn't make sense by the end. Almost every single vote this season has been really atypical for Survivor. We've had three different shot in the darks played. We've had a couple of ties. We've had one person uh, just get medevac too. Like nobody has gone home in a straightforward way where it's just like a majority of your tribe said that you're going home. And you were on the wrong side of the numbers, and that's it. It's, so there's always like some little twist in there. It's never just like, "Yep, four one, you're out." But by the way, Chanel is a super fan of the show, and I don't. I think if she hadn't known that she was safe by do like, I don't think she would have done that if she thought it was going to risk her going home. Right, right. Like she, she knew. She, she like had enough context assurances to be able to do that, but. I just thought it was weird that Mike was so surprised. I don't know. I I thought that was very strange. I'm a big fan of Mike. I think him. I think Mike wearing a Wesleyan wrestling sweatshirt is one of the funniest things about this season. He is so not what I associate with uh, Wesleyan, and no, like, no shots at anyone. It's just I wouldn't think of him as wearing a Wesleyan sweatshirt. And I think it's hilarious. It's like on every episode. I know, and I, and I really love High and Lydia too. Like that's that um, that foursome is yeah. Pro- like that's probably my overall favorite foursome. I definitely agree. Especially now that Jonathan is a misogynist. Yeah. And yeah. And, and I, I Tori is just like very hard to root for. So yeah. I definitely agree. And I agree. I don't, I'm not a huge Lindsay fan either. No, I think I feel like we haven't like she's, gotten a lot of her. I just think she seems like she's saying she's like a, a yes woman. Like, I feel like she's acting very close with Marianne to her face, but then behind her back, she acts like she's aligned with Jonathan and I don't know, protect Marianne. I just don't want anything bad to happen to her. Yeah, I think Lindsay actually is close with Marianne. I think she's just like playing, playing a game. strategic game and, you know, saying, I mean, sometimes being a yes person is, but she's like chatting with the, the two of them are like, you know, I, I think they're they're great together. I like that little pair. Um, and Omer really, what was he doing? Like acting with zero urgency. Like why put him on, like, he's just like, do, 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 do. and I'm like, I could see why Jonathan was losing his mind a little, um, but I like him a lot too. All right. I think that takes us to the end of the episode. Is there anything else that we should talk about? Anything we missed? I think so. Eliza, thank you so much for doing this with us. Oh my God. Of course. Of course. I think this is, you know, it's so fun to talk about the show. I feel so lucky that here, you know, my 20 some odd, 22 years later, like my favorite show is still on the air and I get to talk about it. All right, uh, so we'll do best move of the episode. Eliza, what do you got? I think High seems to be running the show. So I think like High kind of dictating everything and everyone and like briefing Lydia when she gets back and kind of telling everyone. So I would give like orchestrating Daniel's boot to High. Okay. Juliet, do you got one? I think for me, best move of the episode. Damn. It was sort of, I guess, I'm going to go with Mike. I feel like Mike has sort of just cemented himself as an emotional center of, of this tribe. And so I can't point to a specific move, but I, I just feel so drawn to him. And I feel like he's he's become a front runner in my mind. That's not really an answer, but that's what I'm going with. <laughs> now that we've talked it through, I'm going to say those stray votes that we saw at Tribal Council, because they were actually pretty smart as with the shot in the dark at, at play. Mm. So Chanel gets your... I guess, uh, yeah, Chanel and, and Mike both. Oh, I think Chanel is- and Mike. Because yeah. it was like Chanel guarded against the shot in the dark and then Mike guarded against like her stray vote against the shot in the dark. They were like both. They were thinking like one and two steps ahead of me, uh, respectively. Right. Because if Daniel plays a shot in the dark, he doesn't have a vote. Only four votes are cast. Yeah. It's actually like it is. It's chess. They're playing chess. 
Yeah, I'm over here playing tic tac toe. Um, <laughs> I'm not right. even playing. I'm like, connect four. I'm like, <laughs> uh, worst move for the episode. I think it's got to be Daniel going spearfishing, like revealing that he's capable of doing stuff. That was just really stupid. Yeah, I, I have Daniel too. I feel like it's just most things that Daniel has done in the last like two episodes. Yeah, two Daniel really showed himself to be such a liability, and then, um, and then really like continue to sit out while spearfishing. Yeah, I, I mean, all right, favorite moment. This is kind of mm-hmm. different than than best move. It's more about what was the most entertaining. I'm gonna go with when Chanel called out Daniel at Tribal. That was great. I'm gonna go with High saying that he wanted to trim some fat on the tribe, and then later calling Chanel and Daniel two weasels in the chicken coop. Too. He's got a little. He's like he's very confident, and the way it comes across, I really enjoy. Yes, love him. Um, you know, I think maybe. Uh, getting to know Romeo and Drea and seeing their, you know, the two of them finding the three-way idol together and uh, really like seeing Romeo's backstory. And I didn't know any of that about him, you know, how, how he idolizes strong women. And, you know, I just thought that was like a really, a really cool scene between the two of them. Okay. So now let's do winner picks. Who you got, Liza? Uh, hi. That's, That's in Riley's one. too. Right, Riley? He yeah, he has been. Uh I think the last couple episodes I've picked higher. At least last episode for sure I picked him. I would also throw Drea in there now though, too. I was I really gonna like say her. that too. I was like, Drea's like a, a like a sleeper pick. Yeah. She's got to keep her stuff close to the vest. I, I, I forgot that she had an amulet until she was like, Oh yeah, I've got this amulet too. I was like, wow, that is just a lot of hardware to have. And that was survivor rich. Survivor rich. Survivor rich, exactly. <laughs> Exactly. Eliza, thank you so much for joining us. Of course. Thanks for having me. This is fun.